0: Joining us in the program is attorney Lawrence Teeter, who since 1994 has represented convicted assassin Sirhan Sirhan in the case of the murder of Senator Robert F. Kennedy. Thank you for coming on the show, Mr. Teeter. Well,
1: thank you for having me.
0: Um, how do you respond to people who uh, must react, I suppose, with horror over the fact that you are the representative, the legal representative of a man who is purported to be one of the most... Uh, Heinous murders in uh, recent American history.
1: Well, word has gotten out to the point that people no longer respond with such horror to that because the word has gotten out that he's the wrong guy. They did get the wrong guy. He is not the person who shot Robert Kennedy. He could not possibly have shot Robert Kennedy because the bullets that entered Robert Kennedy's body were fired from a distance and from a direction that are inconsistent with Sirhan's location in the pantry at the Ambassador Hotel on June 5th, 1968. The autopsy report confirms that. The autopsy report demonstrates that the shots that hit Senator Kennedy were fired from behind at a muzzle distance of from direct contact to three inches at a sharp upward angle. Sirhan was in front of Robert Kennedy face-to-face, according to all witnesses. The witnesses placed his gun at between one and one-half and five feet from Kennedy, on average three feet away, totally inconsistent with the autopsy report. And he was holding his weapon horizontally not at the sharp upward angle that, that I was noted in the autopsy noted in the autopsy report. I should say that the autopsy report establishes a positional and angle information that is entirely consistent with the position of a security guard who was behind Kennedy, who was in a position to fire sharp upward angle shots, and who did pull his weapon and drop to the floor, and who was in direct physical contact with Kennedy from the rear. So the, the autopsy report, in effect implicates either the security guard or somebody who was in his position and the security guard thing, Eugene Caesar, has said nobody was standing between Caesar and Kennedy. So but, the, but the police never asked Caesar to, for an opportunity to, to have his weapon checked. They told him, you know, are you taking a vacation at the end of the interview that, that occurred two days after the assassination.
0: A great number of people, I think, will be surprised at the fact that there is controversy over the case of Bobby Kennedy, which is considered to be or has long been considered to be one of the most, the slam dunk of the modern political assassination.
1: That's the way it looked, that's the way the crime was designed to look at the outset, but as information's gotten out, it no longer appears that way.
0: So the autopsy, let's, go, let's kind of return to that. The autopsy evidence establishes that Kennedy was hit by three bullets. Yes. All of which appear to have originated from a low position to the right, a- aimed
1: skyward. That's right. Fired at very close range from the rear. And remember, Sirhan was face to face in front of Robert Kennedy. His weapon was between one and one half and five feet away from Kennedy, nowhere near as close as the autopsy report would require. And his weapon was horizontal, not sharp upward angled.
0: I've heard people claim that perhaps if Kennedy was turning his head or reconstructions that seem to show that perhaps he was turned at a 90 degree angle, which uh, at least in theory could explain. The way the bullet entered into the fatal shot entered the head, but you're still stuck with an explanation, then I understand, for how the bullets could have possibly entered his body from a low. Lower right to upper left.
1: Yeah, I, I I think those explanations are tortured. There's no witness who supports the positional assumptions that are required by those in, those those uh, those explanations. The the issue was never litigated because C- Grant Cooper, Sirhan's lawyer, agreed with the prosecution uh, that Sirhan was the person who killed Robert Kennedy. He said, "Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, uh, we agree that Sirhan is the person who killed Robert Kennedy." The only issue we will ask you to consider is the state of mind. So the defense took no issue with this, which is reprehensible in itself, because in, in California at that time, if you were not the person who shot the victim or killed the victim, you were not even eligible for the death penalty. There was a death verdict returned here. So that was an, a, a, an incredible statement for the defense to make.
0: So, in essence, the defense never made an argument, anything other than it was cut and dried, Sirhan shot Bobby Kennedy.
1: Right. The only thing they asked the jury to conclude is that Sirhan was schizophrenic and insane and therefore should not be sent to the death penalty, should not be given the death penalty, and that he should be convicted of second degree as opposed to first degree murder. That's the only defense they offered.
0: Now, that that pantry that uh, the shooting took place in was filled with like 70 people, I understand. That's right. And none of them, none of them would support an idea that Kennedy twisted to the left and bent over. He was basically fell backwards. I I guess is what most witnesses describe.
1: That's right. There's no, there's no basis for the the assertion that Sirhan shot Robert Kennedy. That 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 is the conclusion of the jury, only because the defense agreed not to contest the accusation. But there's no evidence to support it. The autopsy report categorically refutes it. And let me say that the autopsy report was withheld from the defense illegally until after the defendant had made that the the, the defense counsel made that concession to the jury during jury selection and then opening argument. Only then was the, was the autopsy report disclosed.
0: No one disputes the fact that he had a gun in his hand and was shooting it wildly around the room. If he wasn't the man who, uh, who shot Bobby Kennedy, you talked about the security guard, Mr. Caesar, Give us the details on that.
1: Well, Caesar was in position and in range. He has acknowledged that he helped escort Robert Kennedy into the room. He grabbed his arm and pulled him away from the busboy with whom Kennedy was shaking hands, pulled him back in, in, in a direction and then led him forward. Sirhan began firing. Caesar dropped to the ground and pulled his weapon.
0: That was his testimony.
1: That's right. Well, th- no, that, that, that was what he said during a police interview. Um, Don Shulman, a stringer for a media organization, uh, told the police that he saw F- Caesar actually fire. Caesar denies that. But uh, the weapon that Caesar had in his possession, which was a twenty-two, th- that he owned, was never checked by the police. They never asked to look for it. He then claimed he sold the weapon to somebody in the Midwest. Uh, the, the FBI went by that person's house. The guy said it's just been stolen it was never looked at before the trial. And that weapon was disposed of, uh, according to Caesar, before the assassination, but the receipt confirms it was disposed after the assassination.
0: So we know that Bobby Kennedy died from 22 long rifle bullets that struck him. And That's right. we know right. that Mr. Caesar owned such a weapon that could fire those bullets. That's right. But he supposedly, I guess, in the day of the session, did not have a twenty-two on, allegedly had a, a different type weapon.
1: That's what he says, right. He also denies having fired his weapon. By the way, this doesn't necessarily mean that he is the person who shot Robert Kennedy, but he's far more likely to have done it than Sirhan because he was in a position to have done it and Sirhan wasn't. Yet the police never seriously investigated him at all. He was, by by his own acknowledgement, a George Wallace supporter, a Kennedy hater, a racist, a right-winger. He worked at Lockheed, which was a big weapons contractor that stood to gain from a continuation of the war in Vietnam, which Robert Kennedy promised to stop if elected as president. He was never considered a suspect by the police at all. He was simply allowed to skate. And as I was about to say, the, the person to whom he sold the weapon uh, uh, Yoder in the Midwest, said, Caesar told me to be careful of this weapon because it was involved in a police shooting. A
0: police shooting.
1: Still no, no investigation of Caesar.
0: Now, Mr. Cheater, I heard your talk here at the, uh, at the convention that was commemorating the 35th anniversary of the, of the death of Robert Kennedy, during which you, you mentioned that, uh, that the sort of treatment that was given to Mr. Caesar, a security guard who was armed, who was in a position to have perhaps inflicted the wounds on Kennedy that killed him, was treated with amazing lack of interest by the police compared to someone like Sandy Serrano, the woman who sent out, who's the source of the uh, bulletin that went around the world, that a woman with a polka dot dress had been seen fleeing the scene saying, we killed him, we shot Kennedy. She was treated much differently by authorities.
1: No question about it. Um, She made a report to the media on the scene that she had seen um, a girl in a polka dot dress together with a man, uh, raced down the stairs on which she was sitting outside the hotel ballroom and that she heard the woman say, we've just killed him. Who did you kill? We've just killed Robert Kennedy. And that she kept going. She made this report on the scene to authorities and the media.
0: Which was which went around the world. I remember that story from the night it happened.
1: There, there, there was another witness who made a similar report. The police tried to say they got got together and got their story together. They didn't. Their reports were made separate and independently of each other. They were, they were each taken before a polygraph officer, Hank Hernandez, for the LAPD. And Serrano was severely browbeaten yeah. by, by uh, Hernandez and coerced to the point that she, that she waffled a little bit about her story at the end. Uh, just to extricate herself from a, one and a half hours of brutal psychological um, coercion. The police then announced dishonestly that she had backed away from her story and recanted. She never recanted. That's false. But she waffled, and they reported the waffling as as a recantation. That's false.
0: The tape was played at the, at the conference, and I must say it is rather amazing the way it, she is being browbeaten, saying, no, Sandy, you couldn't possibly have seen that. And yet she was insisting, yes, I did. That's right. Uh, which is a remarkable contrast from, no, I didn't fire my weapon. <laughs> oh, well, good luck. Thank dude. you very much. Thank you You're very right. much.
1: <laughs> we, we're glad you didn't bring it. We don't, we don't need to see it. <laughs> exactly. Have a vacation. <laughs> your, words, your
0: word's good enough for us. Right. All right, returning to the crime scene, there, there are some problems here with the fact that we have numerous uh, people who have been shot. We have numerous uh, bullet holes in the facility. And uh, we have at least some people in position with, with microphones to have recorded the shots. And yet uh, there's problems with all of that information, all that data.
1: Yeah, let me, let me start by telling you there, there's a real problem with what the police even did with the victims. The police caused the victims to be taken to a police clinic and, and x-rayed f- simply for the purpose of giving the police a bullet count. All the victims... When you say police clinic, what it was? This is Central Receiving Hospital, which was run by the Los Angeles Police Department for police and fire personnel. Okay. It was a clinic. I mean, they they have a couple operating tables. No surgery was going to go on there. Like
0: an urgent care today sort of thing. They might have an x-ray equipment. A sort of a step-down facility, not a true emergency facility.
1: Yeah, it was called Central Receiving Hospital. It still exists. Now It, it now it's further stepped down. Okay. Then, after the x-rays were made and the, bullet, the police had their bullet count, then the, each victim was taken to a, a separate facility. Robert Kennedy was taken about a block and a half away from Central Receiving to Good Samaritan Hospital, where he went underwent emergency life-saving surgery to try to save his life because there had been a bullet that entered his brain. But the, uh, think about this for a minute. Candidate for the U.S. presidency, who just won the Democratic Party na- nomination in, in California, who's on the verge of being nominated for the White House for his party, who's on the verge of getting elected for the president uh, as president of the United States, has just been shot. He has a, 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 a th- at this point near fatal, soon to be fatal bullet wound in the head. Uh-huh. You'd think the police would want him on an operating table to get that bullet taken out. Yes, you would think that. No, what they really wanted was to take him over to a triage center so they could find out how many bullets were in his head along with those of the other victims so they could get a bullet count. They were more interested in, in finding out what they had to do with the crime scene than they were with saving this man's life. And this was not an ordinary crime victim.
0: And this is all documented. The senator was taken and x-rayed in like a step-down facility's x-ray equipment before he was actually taken to the emergency room.
1: There's no question about it. That's exactly what happened. Phenomenal. They, they delayed treatment and, and, and facilitated the process of his dying is what they did. Then he was taken to a hospital and underwent emergency surgery. He ultimately died. But they delayed treatment in this case. That, by itself, that's an outrage. And the, the purposes of doing that, they want to know how many bullets were in victims.
0: Yeah, I've got to say, as a medical doctor, I, I can't imagine I, what you're describing, I simply can't imagine.
1: Well, It happened. It actually happened. That's phenomenal. Yeah. That's, a, that's a, an off, often overlooked aspect of this case. Yes, yes. That is, that is the most colossal case of medical malpractice I can imagine, a deliberate and willful delay in treatment for, for crime-solving purposes. Now, after they had their bullet count, they knew how many bullets they had to get rid of at the crime scene, and that's why they started to get rid of them. And uh, let me explain why we know that's what happened. There were eight bullets that could have come from the so-called Sirhan revolver.
0: Eight, eight bullets in the revolver, possibly.
1: There were, the so-called Sirhan revolver had an eight-bullet capacity. Okay. There were, according to the police inventory, there were seven bullets found in victims. Okay. An eighth bullet was lost in the ceiling. So bullet
0: hole up in the ceiling can't find a bullet to associate. You, you're, you're, it's all accounted for.
1: That's what the police say. So taking their bullet count at, at face value, that bullet count means that if there are any bullet holes at the crime scene multiple guns were used during the assassination. Well, as a matter of fact, there is plenty of crime scene evidence that extra bullets were located at the crime scene. And what were those? Um, first of all, the FBI has photographs of holes in um, a door, f- door frame that are circled and marked with the initials of a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Deputy, Walter H. II. Those, those photographs are labeled as photographs of bullet holes in the FBI file.
0: There's two holes in the in the door frame of the of the, the, the room he just entered.
1: That's right. That's in the pantry. Okay. The first FBI agent on the scene, William Bailey, has attested that he saw those holes. He actually saw bullets in them. No question in his mind about that. It was unequivocal. You see uh, the lead. He saw the lead. Okay. There's a, an AP wire photo that shows a bullet located in a door jam uh, in another part of the pantry. There is. Um, so that,
0: no, that we've added three to the total.
1: That's right. There is also um, photographs. I presented all of this to the court on Surian's behalf. There are also photographs that show the LAPD criminalist who testified against uh, Sir Dwayne Wolfer pointing toward bullet holes, along with the LA County coroner Thomas DeGucci, who was there in the pantry, they're all pointing toward bullet holes. In my recollection of the
0: reconstruction, even as it was in the papers like the next day was that there were holes all over the place. That's in, right. In in the in the building.
1: Immediately the police removed door frames and ceiling panels and took them away. They then destroyed these items ostensibly for lack of storage space, immediately at the conclusion of the Sirhan trial. The
0: pieces of wood that presumably contained bullets.
1: They, they were destroyed uh, under, under the auspices of a court order that was obtained without the knowledge of and behind the backs of Sirhan's trial attorney. Critical evidence uh, um, vandalized and then eliminated ostensibly because they didn't have enough storage space for it.
0: Now, in uh, William Turner's excellent book, uh, which I, I have, uh, Rearview Mirror, uh, his, his, his book on the Bobby Kennedy assassination with John Christian uh, is very difficult to get a hold of, but he does have an excellent chapter in Rearview Mirror talking about the case where he says he took an audio. There were actually three available audio tapes of uh, that, were, that were open mics that were running during the shooting, and that uh, sound analysis shows there's at least ten shots on the tapes.
1: Yes, I have that evidence also that I've filed on behalf of Sirhan in court. That's true. In addition, um, there was a, a police employee, David Butler, who, uh, who advised a journalist that he saw Wolfer actually, or others, actually removing bullets from uh, the crime scene, actually digging them out of the wall.
0: Between the autopsy, the, the sound evidence, the uh, physical evidence of the room, it sounds... Uh, like there's some pretty compelling evidence that there was a second gun.
1: Well, um, one reason the public's unaware of it is because no issue was made of it at trial. As I say, Sirhan's lawyer said to the jury, our client shot and killed Robert Kennedy. You won't have to decide that issue. The only issue you'll have to decide is the state of mind. So the defense went skating right over it. Now, in fairness to the defense which was, in effect, working with the prosecution, so it doesn't deserve any any, any leniency in my analysis, and it doesn't get any. But in fairness to the defense, the prosecution actively concealed this evidence. They never disclosed that extra bullets had been found in the crime scene. They suppressed that fact. Um, Bullets that were obviously removed from the crime scene that have paint and wood on them uh, were described by the police as, as though they had been discovered lying loose, uh, either in Sirhan's car or at his residence. Hmm. They, so they were hidden. The police suppressed the evidence of, of, of extra bullets and did everything they could to lie about it.
0: Let's go back to the issue of accomplices. Uh, Sandy Serrano and others, I guess at least four people, uh, described a man and a woman fleeing the scene, saying that we shot Kennedy. And, and I should add, uh, for your presentation and others, that there are numerous witnesses that evening who saw Sirhan standing with a woman with a polka dot dress. That's and the right. Other people. So there are something like 14 witnesses that put him... In proximity to these people that were later saying we shot Kennedy, does that not in, right there imply clear-cut case for conspiracy?
1: No question about it. But the defense wouldn't wouldn't introduce this, and the prosecution um, presented a, f- a knowingly false case to the jury and suppressed much of this material.
0: Been a long tradition in assassinations to proclaim that you you did it, and here's why you did it. Uh, American political assassinations seem to always lack that element. And uh, an additional oddity in the case of Sirhan is that. Uh, he not only doesn't have much to say about his guilt or innocence, he seemed to be sort of in a, in a stupor or in a trance or unable to, to be oriented as to time and place after, after he was captured. So can we can talk about that?
1: Yes. Um, actually, Sirhan had been programmed through hypnosis to walk in, fire a weapon, have no knowledge of what he was doing be unable to recall the facts surrounding the crime, and be unable to recall the, the circumstances leading up to his being programmed. It's
0: quite a charge. What's, what's the evidence?
1: Well, the evidence for it is an expert witness declaration that I've submitted from the country's most well-respected expert on hypnosis. That's Herbert Spiegel, a psychiatrist in New York, who teaches at Columbia University. And Dr. Spiegel explains in the declaration that we prepared for him the factual basis for his conclusions. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming that this is what actually happened. First, when Sirhan was apprehended, he seemed to be in a trance-like state. A number of witnesses saw that. Second, he asked to speak with the prosecutor and initiated an extensive uh, colloquy about somebody else's case. And the prosecutor was so suspicious about the the oddness of his behavior on Sirhan's part. I mean, he's just been arrested for shooting uh, shooting Robert Kennedy. He's talking about somebody else's case as though nothing ever happened to him. The prosecutor said uh, he he posed questions designed to determine whether Sirhan knew knew where he was. And Sirhan's response indicated he had no idea. He had not not yet, yet even seen a judge. So he was, not spatially, he was not oriented in space and time. He had no contact with reality. That's a clear indication that he was coming out of a trance. He was shivering shortly after, after being taken into custody. This is what would happen every time he would come out of hypnotic trance that had been induced by psychiatrists. While in, he
0: was in custody.
1: While he was in custody, in leading up to the trial to try to refresh his memory. So that would indicate that he was in a trance condition at the time of the assassination. It was coming out of it uh, when he was shivering afterward. What, what about those notebooks they found? But the police have jumped all over those notebooks and claimed that they prove premeditation, but they don't. In a notebook found in Saran's room, there appears the phrase uh, May 18th. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy must be assassinated, the RFK must die, Robert Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy must be assassinated. Again and again, up and down the page in, the, in this hypnotic, trance-like fashion. Now, the reason that that's so interesting from a defense standpoint is because under hypnosis, uh, in his cell before trial, when Sirhan was asked tell us more about Robert Kennedy. He wrote out similar phrases, RFK must die, 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 RFK must die, indicating logically that the uh, material found in the notebook in his room, rather than being evidence of premeditation, was written in a a trance-like condition, under hypnosis. So if Suran was programmed through hypnosis to write out this damning language before the assassination, that it makes sense that he was programmed to walk into the pantry and fire without without any having without having any memory of it. Suhren's recollection of the crime is most interesting. You'd expect him if he, if he had premeditated anything that he would recall what he'd done and even try to claim credit for it. Yeah. Some 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 people do that. Right. In Suryan's case, he was asked on the witness stand, "Did you shoot Robert Kennedy?" Answer. I don't recall, I'm told I did, I must have, indicating no memory of the event and um, amnesia. He said this again and again when asked the same series of questions about each victim. I'm told I did, I must have, I don't remember. So amnesia. One thing he did recall um, is that he arrived at the hotel, he went to a, another candidate's political party looking for somebody else, a friend, uh, not finding her there and noticing that the party was small, he was pointed by someone to the Kennedy party, which he said was a larger party. So he went over there and he ran into a, an attractive young woman and engaged her in, in a discussion about coffee. She asked, "Will you please will you pour me a cup of coffee with a lot of cream and a lot of sugar?" Was she wearing a polka dot dress? Um, he. She was wearing a white dress, uh-huh. uh, according to his recollection. He also recalls. That she led him into a dark place where he saw someone in uniform. He then blacked out. The next thing he remembered, he was on the, on the steam table being choked. So she, she black, he blacked out after talking to this, this woman. She may have had a polka dot dress on. There were a number of people who saw Sirhan in the presence of a girl wearing a polka dot dress.
0: Well, Mr. Teeter, uh, there's no possible way we can go into the all details of, of the case, which is very interesting, but you certainly uh, covered, I think, some of the major points regarding whether there's something very funny going on about this. Yes, indeed. And in, here in the year 2003, uh, this case actually remains alive, and you're taking legal steps to, uh, to do something about it. Can you tell us what those are?
1: Yes. Uh, I now have a petition for writ of habeas corpus pending in federal court. Which means? An attempt to get a new trial. Um, and uh, I'm trying to move that case out of Los Angeles so so that it's heard in Fresno. The reason I want to move it out of uh, Los Angeles is because one one of my lead claims is going to be that Sirhan's attorney, Grant Cooper, threw the case as a result of being blackmailed by the U.S. attorney in Los Angeles and his office. The U.S. attorney's office was part of the interagency prosecution team that participated in the prosecution. And the person who was head of the U.S. attorney's office at that time is now a federal judge in the L.A. courthouse where Serhan's case is pending. And the magistrate judge assigned to hear the case is a subordinate of that judge. I want this case out of that courthouse so it can be fairly heard. And I've made repeated requests for recusal of the judicial uh, uh, officers in Los Angeles. Those have all been rejected. My requests have been presented all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court so far and denied, which I think is astounding. Um, so I, I've made a motion to transfer the case to Fresno, which is near the prison where he's incarcerated, and that motion is pending. The petition itself is likely to take some time to litigate, but this motion, I hope, will be decided. I, um, I, it should be decided in my favor. Uh, if it isn't, in I... the am, next month or two? Within the next month or two.
0: Well, would you please come back on the show and update us as to where things are going and round out some of the details which we, due to time constraints, couldn't get into today?
1: I would be delighted.
0: Well, thank you for coming, Lawrence Dieter. Thank you for having me. Well, you make the call. I found Lawrence Teeter's presentation to be fascinating. I find it difficult to argue with the hard evidence in this case, the evidence from the autopsy, the evidence from ballistics, and the evidence from the sound recordings. Could Sirhan Sirhan have been, in a way, programmed to have been an assassin? Well, I certainly don't think it's something that can be dismissed. And frankly, I'd like your feedback on this, you, the public, so please send us an email at info at radioparallax.com. We will also be returning to this subject in the weeks to come with educator and author James Diogenio, who will tell the fascinating story of what happened to young Scott Enyard, a high school photographer who happened to be on the scene at the killing, whose story is well worth hearing. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM. Let's take a short break.